Thank you, Noah, for reading our scripture, and thank you for being here. We are grateful for the opportunity to be together tonight. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy 6.12, the passage that is our verse of the week. And I do want to encourage you, if you have not already memorized this verse, then we want to encourage you to try to commit it to memory this week. I want to just very quickly apologize. I mentioned, or actually I asked the question last week if anyone had been memorizing the scriptures. And honestly, I didn't see any hands go up. Now, that's not to say they didn't go up. I just didn't see them. But nonetheless, there are three people that have been memorizing the scriptures that we've had over the course of the year. Dave Johnson is one, Marie McFall, and also Ray Maples. I don't know if Ray's here. Yeah, Ray's in the back tonight. And so I apologize for that oversight. We're grateful that they have taken the time and effort to commit these verses to memory, and I appreciate so much the great example they set. And I do want to encourage you, this week, try to memorize 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. It's really not a, a difficult text or passage to memorize, and so if you'll do that, I know it will benefit you, not just this week, but also in the coming weeks of your life. We are looking tonight at 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 12, and in this context, Paul is talking about fighting the good fight of faith. We have said before that as Christians, we are at war. The songs that we've been privileged to sing together tonight remind us of the fact that we are soldiers in the army of the, in the, army of the Lord, that we are at war, and that we must understand that every day that we live here on planet Earth, it's a battle, it's a war. So we're going to be talking about that in a minute or two. I do want to say very quickly, we're glad that Jared and the young folks got back safe and sound today. We're glad to have them back. If they had been here this morning, we would have, I'm sure, exceeded 200, as Dio said. So very glad that uh, they're back safe and sound and appreciate all the good work that they do. All right, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. As we think about the theme tonight, fighting the good fight of faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, listen again as Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. There are three very basic fundamental principles that I want to share with you tonight in our study. Number one, I want to talk about the foe. Whenever you think about the word fight, that would imply that there is a struggle, a battle, that we are engaged in warfare, and such is the case. Paul here is talking about fighting the good fight of our faith. Now, with regard to our foe, the Bible talks about the foe that we meet on the battlefield. We know him as the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, in about verse 2, he is identified for us as the tempter. In Matthew 13, verse 19, he is called the wicked one by Jesus. In that same chapter, in verse 39, he is called the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul would identify him as the God of this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul speaks of him as the prince of the power of the air. And then, of course, in 1 Peter chapter 5, at verse 8, Peter would say that he is our adversary. So that gives insight into what we're up against. The devil is first and foremost deceptive in his practices, isn't he? John would say in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, 
He said that he is the deceiver of the whole world. All right, when then did his deceptive work begin? Go back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember God, after having created the world and all things therein, made man in his own image and likeness. In chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible tells us that he framed man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. God not only made the first male, but he took a rib from the side of Adam and made the woman and brought her unto the man. Adam then responded by saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And of course, in Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And so we, we read about the first couple in the Garden of Eden. Now God had said to that first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, the day you eat thereof, what will happen? He said, you'll die. So in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the serpent, the devil, Satan, coming on the scene. And you remember he interrogated Eve about this prohibition that God had set forth in the garden. When she responded by saying they were not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, the devil, you remember, because she said if we eat, we'll die. Actually, she said if we eat it or touch it, we'll die. But you remember, the devil said, you will not surely die. Was that true or false? To the core, it was false, wasn't it? No wonder Jesus identified the devil in John 8, verse 44, as a liar. The devil is a liar. And the devil engages in deceptive practices. He is the master of deception. And you look at his history. You know, the devil is really in the advertising business. He promises a lot, but what does he deliver? Does he ever deliver on his promises? I mean, you go back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember when the devil said to Mother Eve, you will not surely die. Do you remember what he said following that? He said, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Was that true or false? Would Mother Eve become like God? Again, another lie, right? She partook of that forbidden tree. As a result, what happened? Death. Physical death began to take place in the human body. And then spiritual death. And so in Genesis 3.15, you have God beginning the unfolding of His redemptive plan. So you go back and you look at Genesis chapter 3 and you think about how the devil, he is the master of, of the art of deception. And he has been deceiving people since that fateful day in the garden. Now there are a lot of folks in the world today, they are under the sway of the devil, are they not? I mean, you think about what he promises people in our world today. Individuals who are enslaved to alcohol and other types of recreational drugs. Do you think that they began using those drugs so that they might one day be identified as an addict? So that they would lie, steal, chill, mur steal, and murder? So that they might get a hold of those drugs? Absolutely not. The devil says, this is what you need. It's going to make you better. It's going to help you in your life. And yet, the bottom line is, 
He's deceptive. He has always been deceptive. I think it's interesting in Genesis chapter 3, he really, in light of God's prohibition, all he did was insert the word node. You will not surely die. One word. You think about how many people today want to be religious, want to have a relationship with God, but they're told falsehoods. They're deceived. You know, the devil doesn't care how he destroys people. The bottom line is he's intent on bringing people down. Listen, the devil has a date with destiny, doesn't he? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil knows that one day he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. His intention is to take as many people with him as possible. So he is deceptive, and then he is destructive. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you think about Mother Eve and Adam, the fact that they succumbed to temptation. And here's the devil saying, you're not, you're not going to die. Well, how'd that work out, Adam? Not so well. Do you remember in the book of Job, the devil came before the throne of God, didn't he? And God asked Job in the long ago, or rather, the, God asked Satan in the long ago about Job, have you considered my servant Job? The devil went to work on Job, didn't he? So what do you have in chapter 1? Job lost 10 children. Add to that the loss of his wealth. So here is a guy that is stripped of family members, his financial resources. Do you think the devil cared about Job at all? In chapter 2, when the body of Job was afflicted with boils from head to toe, and here is Job suffering immensely, do you think the devil had any sympathy for him? Do you think that he was concerned about the plight of Job, the servant of God? Absolutely not. Now you look at how many people in the world today have been deceived by the devil and then look at the destruction, the wake of, dis of destruction that he leaves in his wake. Wherever the devil goes, he always leaves what? Suffering. Sorrow separation. I mean, he's the master of this, isn't he? Every time you and I stand at the side of an open grave, what does that remind us of? What the devil did in the Garden of Eden. The devil is the one that brought about death on the human family. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, through one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin the human family has been plagued by death. And there have been many, many people in days gone by that have buried loved ones all because of the heinous work of the devil. So you think about the separation and then add to that the sorrow. When you and I look at the life of Job and you think about here's a man that lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his health. Would you not say that that would bring about compassion on our part, that we would be sympathetic to his plight? Not so with the devil. The devil is all about deception and destruction. 
Listen to the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 13. Solomon said in the long ago, the way of the transgressor is hard. Those who transgress the law of God go beyond the law of God, face a lot of problems, a lot of consequences, a lot of, a lot of heartache. And so we are up against a foe that is very good at what he does. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we think about our foe, that being the devil. But then there is a second thing, and that has to do with our fight. I said a minute ago, we are involved in a fight. It is a fight for our spiritual lives. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Now as you think about our adversary, the devil, and the fact that we are at war, I want to talk a little bit about this war that we're involved in, this fight. To understand first and foremost that the enemy that we're up against, he is ruthless. I was reading this afternoon about an incident, incident that happened about 50 years ago in America. August 1969. Some of you may remember the Manson family. You remember them? Charles Manson was somewhat of a cult leader, I guess we would say. And his cronies killed five people on one night in Los Angeles, one of whom was an actress by the name of Sharon Tate. As I read about that incident that took place over 50 years ago, what struck me was the fact that Sharon Tate and another one of the individuals that was present on that night, an 18-year-old young man, pleaded for mercy. They pleaded. Sharon Tate was pregnant. And she pleaded for herself and that baby. The other young man pleaded for mercy. And my, my understanding is, they were told, you show no mercy, and they didn't. If you go back and read that account, and you can see some of the graphic photographs, it was a dark, dark night in American history. Manson was an evil, evil man. And he and his followers were ruthless. Now I mentioned just a minute ago the fact that we're up against a foe called the devil. And that he is deceptive and destructive. And I would add to that, he is ruthless. Do you think he was satisfied after Job buried ten children? Absolutely not. Was he satisfied after Job lost his wealth? Again, the answer is no. Was he satisfied after Job lost his health? Again, the answer is no. The devil is all about buying up real estate, buying up territory in the lives of people. And he is ruthless. Jesus identified him not only as a liar, but as a murderer in John 8, verse 44. He is ruthless. And so every time we look at the byproducts 
of His insidious work on planet Earth. We are reminded of the fact that we are up against a ruthless enemy. He is a ruthless warrior. And not only is He ruthless, but He is relentless. He is always at work, isn't He? Didn't Peter say, be sober, be vigilant? Why, Peter? Because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Does the devil ever take a holiday? Do you ever take a day off? You may work five days a week. You might work six. Some individuals work seven days a week, but after a period of time, they're looking for a break, aren't they? The devil never takes a break. The devil is on the job 24-7. He is always at work. He is always doing what he can to disrupt, destroy, and deceive people. And let me tell you what, as I said a minute ago, he is very effective at his job, isn't he? Incredibly effective. So he is relentless. It might be the case that we win the battle for the day, Guess what? He's coming back again tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Do you remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted by the devil? Three times we read about the devil posing temptations to Jesus. Every time he responded by saying it's written. But in verse 13, Luke said that after those temptations ended, the devil left him until an opportune time. The devil was not through with Jesus, was he? When you and I read of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, pouring out his heart to the Father about the cross that lay before him, do you think that the devil wanted to see Jesus go to the cross and ultimately provide redemption for the human family? Absolutely not. I mean, the devil was bent on disrupting and destroying God's redemptive plan. But Jesus wouldn't give in. He is relentless. So we got to understand, when we talk about fighting the good fight of faith, it is a daily affair. I mean, we might win the battle today, but overall we're involved in warfare, aren't we? We want to win the battle, but we also want to win the war, don't we? When it's all said and done, we want to be victorious. So the devil, when you talk about the devil, he is a ruthless enemy. He is a relentless enemy. He's always on the prowl. He's always lurking about. No wonder Paul said, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, of the devil. The word schemes or wiles there. It's the word that we get our term method. The devil has various methods that he employs to deceive people, doesn't he? I mean, doesn't the devil use various tactics to bring us down? He is relentless in his operation. Now, John said that he uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those are three things that he packages and uses effectively in his war against us. And so to understand there's really nothing new under the sun, the devil may repackage it. 
It might look different, but the bottom line is he's using the same old tactics. That's why Paul would say that we need to understand how he operates, lest we be taken advantage of. There is a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. And that is our fortune. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. And then he said, lay hold on eternal life. What about eternal life? You know, Jesus had a lot to say about eternal life during his ministry, didn't he? For example, in John chapter 6, Jesus said, labor not for the food which perishes, but that which endures unto everlasting life. He talked about those who would eat his flesh and drink his blood. They would have eternal life. And he said, I'll raise him up in the last day in verse 54, John 6. In Mark 10, we read about a rich young man that came to Jesus on one occasion. He asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You and I, we are on a quest. The quest is to obtain eternal life. Now Paul said, we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. So we have the hope of life eternal with regard to eternal life and this fortune that awaits us. Two thoughts here. Number one, we've got to stay on course, don't we? The devil wants to distract, to distract. he wants to disrupt, to deceive, to get us off track. And yet the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to run with patience or endurance the race that's set before us. Listen to him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we got to keep our eyes on Christ to stay focused in this life so that one day we can ultimately be crowned with the crown of life. Now, as you think about staying on course, you know, if you're trying to get from one city to the next, you got to follow a map, don't you? you got to make sure that you stay, the, stay on course. It's easy to get off course. By the same token, it's easy for us to get distracted and get off course as God's people, isn't it? So, with that in mind, and the fact that we're fighting this good fight of faith, could I suggest tonight that we need resolve as we stay on course? Here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. To make sure that we're trying to live a steadfast, immovable life, we're not going to be pushed around, we're not going to be, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4, 14, tossed to and fro and cared about with every wind of doctrine, but rather we're going to stay on course. So we're going to resolve, resolve to stay on course. And then we're going to be resistant to the overtures of the devil, aren't we? Didn't James say, resist the devil, and what's the promise? He'll flee from you. So it really comes back to saying no. You know, there's some folks in the world, they have difficulty saying no, don't they? They can never say no to anything or anybody. And yet James is saying, we've got to have the resolve and this resistant attitude that says, you know what, I know the devil's coming. 
I know He's going to bring it every day, but I'm going to resist. Steadfast in the faith. That's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5, 9. He said, Whom withstand steadfast in the faith, that is, the overtures of the devil. And then there's a third thought. It has to do with our relationships, the kind of people we associate with. If we're going to stay on course, we've got to associate with the right kind of people, don't we? Didn't Paul say, evil companionship, what does that do? Corrupts good morals. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, if sinners entice you, listen to him, do not consent. All he's saying is, you need to hang around with the right kind of people. I don't think it's accidental that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it was said of the early church they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. There's something to be said about fellowshipping people who are in Christ. And then we've got resources at our disposal, don't we? Again, we're talking about staying on course. What kind of resources do we have? Number one, I would encourage all of us to stay in the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, every time the devil tried to bring him down, what did he do? He quoted Scripture, didn't he? Didn't the psalmist say one of our passages that we've tried to memorize over the course of this year? The psalmist said, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. So to take the Word of God, deposit it into our heart, and then make application as we live here on planet Earth. As Paul would say, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So stay in the Word of God, and then secondly, stay in the work of God. An idle mind is the devil's workshop, as we say. Stay involved. Get connected in the body of Christ. Find something to do, and do it with all your might. Stay busy. You know, if we're working in the kingdom of God, then we're going to be around the right kind of people, aren't we? And it's going to better us. And then I would say, make sure that you stay in worship to God. Stay in the worship. We come together, what, three times a week? Four if you throw in Tuesday morning? We're only talking about four to five hours per week. So we're out in the world far more than we, are, than we are assembled together in corporate worship. But corporate worship and Bible study is important. It is imperative. Some of those Hebrew Christians in the first century, based on Hebrews chapter 10, they were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. As a result of that, what happened? They were drifting. They had become dull of hearing. They were not where they needed to be. So when you come together on the first day of the week, when we come together, it will help us, it will strengthen us. So we've got to stay on course, and then secondly, we've got to stay the course. And by that, I simply mean we can't afford to quit, can we? We've got to stay in the race until the very end. You know, if you were to take a trip, and let's just say that your car were to break down in the middle of the trip, what would you do? Well, if you were Jared, you'd fix it, you'd fix it yourself. But since we're not all Jared, 
most of us would have to call someone, wouldn't we? But the point is, we're at point A, we're trying to get to point B. If something happens along the way, we still want to get to our destination, don't we? So if something happens along the way in our faith, we don't just abort the mission, but we stay the course. We're going to stay in the race until the very end. Do we have precedence for that? Yes, we do. Do you remember Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4? When Paul said, I'm already being offered, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying, I stayed on course, I kept the faith. And I stayed, I stayed on course and I stayed in the course. I finished the race. There are no crowns to people who stop and quit the faith. No eternal life to those who abort the mission, who walk away from the faith. So we can't afford to give up. Do we get discouraged sometimes? Yes, we do. Are there times in life when we wonder, can I make it? Can I overcome? Can I hang in there? Well, of course. Why? Because we're human beings. What the Bible says to all of us is, listen, we can make it. God has not given us an impossible task. And you think about, God wants us to be with Him one day, doesn't He? God wants us where He is. And God has made resources available so that we can get to where we need to be. But we've got to stay on course and we've got to stay the course. Can't afford to give up. Can't afford to bail out. Discouragement is one of the greatest tools of the devil. So what Paul is saying is, as a child of God, he said, you fight the good fight of faith and you lay hold on life eternal. In so doing, we will have the crown of life. Tonight, I would encourage you, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, Start the race tonight. Become a Christian. God wants you to be saved. God is interested in every single person. The devil's not interested in you. Let me tell you what, there is a battle going on right now, tonight. Did you know that? There is a battle going on for your soul right now. On the one hand, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, God's saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise is, I'll give you rest. On the other hand, the devil's saying, you don't need to obey the gospel. You don't need to do that tonight. Wait. I mean, there's no sense in jumping into this stuff tonight. There is a battle going on for your soul tonight. And you've got to decide, am I going to obey God or am I going to live as I'm living right now for the devil and his angels. I'm not going to live for him. There are a lot of folks that have fought that battle in the pews. They're in eternity as we speak. They never obeyed the gospel. They never, they never submitted themselves to the cause of Christ. Tonight, tonight is your night to obey the gospel. Don't leave here, if you're not a child of God, don't leave here without being baptized into Christ. The water is ready. We can take your confession. 
If you'll turn from sin, confess His name before others, and be buried with Him in baptism, listen, the Bible tells us, the Bible says you will enjoy forgiveness, Acts 2, verse 38. God will put you in the church, and you can't be saved outside the church, according to Ephesians 5, 23. And then to live faithfully until death. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, let me tell you what, the devil's in your ear. And the devil is telling you right now, you don't need to be faithful right now. You just keep living how you're living, enjoy life, do your own thing, and in your own good time, you can make things right. Don't believe that lie. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, our plea to you is to make it right tonight. We're here, we can pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.